And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Howdy, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. You're listening to a special post-Game 5 edition of No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Just me flying solo here from the uh, Connecticut uh, headquarters. Um, after another wild Game 5, it really put me in mind of Game 5 of the last round against the Penguins when uh, Ilya Sorokin kept the Islanders in it. Penguins completely dominated that game, and the Islanders were able to pull out a win in double overtime on Tristan Jari's uh, big mistake, turning the puck over, Josh Bailey scoring the winner. And the Islanders were able to head home and close it out in six. Tonight, uh, Wild uh, Islanders' offense was a little bit more prolific in their chances tonight against the Bruins. But uh, once again, Islanders' goaltender, this time it was Semyon Varlamov, Stood on his head, um, really kept a minute, even though the Bruins scored again early. Uh, David Pasternak scoring just a couple minutes in, 125 in to be exact. And then um, the Islanders withstood that Bruins charge in the first 10 minutes, took the lead with a really efficient power play in the second period, extended it early in the third, and uh, held on for dear life after that. So um, the last 17 minutes or so of that third period were – about as lopsided as they get, but the Islanders come away with the win, 5-4, headed back home up three games to two uh, with a chance to close out the Bruins in game six on Wednesday and advance to the, it's not the conference finals this year, I don't know what we call it, the semifinals, the final four, um, whatever it is to face the winner of Tampa or Carolina, which could also be done by the time the Islanders take the ice uh, with Tampa up three games to one. So, um that was a weird one, and we'll have to start, I think, evaluating it with uh, some of the gamesmanship, I guess you could call it, post-game. I don't really even know where Bruce Cassidy was going with his uh, over-two-minute rant where he referred to the Islanders as the New York Saints, not the old indoor lacrosse team that used to play at the Coliseum, but um, I think meaning that they are angels when it comes to the referees making penalty calls. Um Cassidy had a specific gripe, uh, I think, which was a missed call that was a missed call. Brock Nelson did high stick Patrice Bergeron behind the Islanders net. I believe it was in the second period. Did not get a call. But if you're evaluating the game fairly, uh, Nick Ritchie threw an elbow at Scott Mayfield's head while Mayfield was down on one knee trying to play a puck in the first period. Also not did not get a call. Both of those are penalties. They missed them. It's even up. Uh, the power plays in the game were four for the Islanders and two for the Bruins. Um, I would say that all that kind of the calls that cancel each other out, if you're really picking at it, and since Bruce Cassidy wants to take us down this road, um, the Islanders first power play came on a slashing call to Sean Corrali late in the first period. It's terrible call. Uh, Corrali didn't even move his stick. He had a stick parallel to the ice as Noah Dobson came in for a shot, a good scoring chance, uh, and a play where if you do swing your stick at the, at, uh, and if you're Corrali, you swing your stick at Dobson's stick as he's shooting, that's been called a lot. He didn't swing his stick. Bad call by uh, the two referees, Francis Chiron and Francois Saint-Laurent. Um, the next Islander power play in the second period was 
Matt Grizzlick for a cross check on Leo Komarov early in the second. The honors converted on that power play too. Leo sold it pretty well. His head, his, uh, his unique helmet popped up in the air as Grizzlick gave him a shove. There's lots of those cross checks in the game. You could certainly argue that it was uh, a bit of a ticky tack call. Now the two calls on the Islanders late in the second period and early in the third were pretty clearly soft as well. Jordan Everly uh, called for a slash on a similar kind of play as the Corrali one where he got a stick parallel on Connor Clifton as he shot the puck. Um, it was a little bit of a slash, but those were going on all night. So fine makeup call. Uh, and then Adam Pellick for a hook on David Pasternak with Pasternak sold very well. It looked like a stick lift by Pellick who had another really outstanding game. Um, but, you know, the, the power plays were lopsided at that point. There was lots of complaining. So, Pellick went to the box. The Bruins made it 5-3 on that power play. So those are the, the ones that cancel each other out. The Bruins got two extra ones. One was a puck over glass by Patrice Bergeron midway through the third. No disputing that. And one was Chris Wagner putting his glove and stick into Matthew Barzell's face away from the play that the referee saw. Dumb. And you're going to get called every time. The power plays in the series uh, are 15-11 in the Islanders' favor. So um, it's, a, it's a weird narrative to go down for Cassidy, especially when his team is down 3-2 and they've lost a game that they absolutely should have won in game five because they were really dominant five on five. Um, And they got caught with a couple bad penalties and they got caught a a top five penalty kill looked terrible. Um, You know, Rask gave up a couple shots from distance. You know, uh, one was on Matthew Barzell. One was to Jordan Everly. That was a, a slot line pass from Barzal to set it up. But Everly kind of gathered himself and then beat Rask with no screen. Um, I think that was the goal that probably told Bruce Cassidy that Tuka Rask either wasn't feeling 100% or wasn't as sharp as he needed to be. And he did put in Jeremy Swayman for the third period, who didn't really face very much at all. Um, but it's three power play goals for an Islander team that hasn't scored three power play goals in three years. So... Um, you can point the finger, I guess, at some of the officiating and some of the calls, but it wasn't so lopsided and you can't give up three power play goals. That's the bottom line. You know, the Islanders are not a multi power play goal team. They've had, they've done it a couple times in this, in these playoffs. They did it to the Bruins the other night. Um, but, uh, but that stuff can't happen. So the, the complaining looks kind of even weaker, <laughs> uh, when it goes on for that long, talking about a situation that power plays were four, two, they weren't seven, one, they weren't eight, one, they weren't letting the Islanders, you know, rapid punch Bruins after whistles or anything like that. So strange, strange, strange narrative to take up after a game that uh, the Bruins absolutely should have won. Now, um, what was good for the Islanders? Matthew Barzell was good for the Islanders. Uh, the goal that he scored at the end of the first period where he just wired one under the bar uh, over to Karras shoulder, very aggressive, very, um, Barzal like from a lot of his hot streaks during this season. Um, and he really, you know, I think the goal that he jammed in in game three that kind of got him off the schneid um, really seemed to light a fire under him. You know, he's not, he's not going to win a lot of uh, board battles and he's not going to be, a, a, you know, a physically dominating guy. And this is, that's what the series is about is, is winning those 50, 50 battles and making sure that you, you're hard along the wall and, and guys are, you know, taking a piece off somebody every time you go in for a battle or, or every time you go in on the four check. But if he's scoring goals like that every game, then that gives the Islanders a, a huge chance to win every night. And it was a big one, obviously, at the end of a very lopsided first period. Um, other good stuff, uh, Barry Trotz with a real neat little adjustment in this game after seeing the way that the Bruins dominated the first 10 minutes, flipping Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Brock Nelson on those middle two lines 
So you got a lot of Pajot, Anthony Beauvillier, and Josh Bailey um, out against Patrice Bergeron whenever they could. Ellison was out there sometimes and held his own a little bit. He was a little soft on Marchand's uh, tying goal at 2-2 in the second, but uh, Nelson kind of picked it up and scored that fifth goal, which ended up being the winner uh, early in the third and won a couple key faceoffs down the stretch and, and was out there inside of four minutes left after the Bruins cut it to one, who, you know, that after Barry Trotz took a timeout with about four and change left, uh, the Islanders really got back on their toes and, and played a, a lot more like the team that closed out um, – game four in a, in a really strong fashion as well. So, um, But Nelson struggled, and he struggled the series to, to try to contain Bergeron, especially up in Boston. That's the matchup that Cassidy wants. Uh, he got it a lot uh, in the first two games up there, and that, was, that line obviously can can do what it wants really a lot of the time. But Pajot was tough, and Pajot was tough in the circle uh, against uh, Bergeron, and um, and they were physical. Um, you know, Bailey and Beauvillier have had some some tough moments too, but uh, but just making that little switch seemed to help them. And I think having Nelson with with a, a real savvy veteran like Travis Zajac, who didn't have a huge impact on this game, but um, if the other guys are scoring, if they're scoring three power play goals and and their big boys are, are producing on the power play and at key times, you don't need Travis Zajac there to score goals. You need him to to be physical, to kind of you know move those skinny legs around the ice and, uh, and get in people's way, you know, kind of like Leo Kamara, but a little more skilled. And that's what, that's what Zajac did. And I think that kind of helped settle Nelson a little bit. Um, also good. Adam Pellick again, um, he skied up in the air to, to, to keep a puck in the zone in the third period to set up the start the play that set up Nelson's goal. Uh, his dad, Bo, who is in the uh, York university, Hall, Athletics Hall of Fame after being a star basketball player there in the 70s. I'm sure was very proud of that rebound that uh, that his son went up for in the blue line to make that play. And, uh, you know, Pellick was on the ice for for at least one of those Bruins goals at five on five. I think probably both of them. But uh, he, he was solid again. And, and uh, you know, as much as you love watching it, if you're also have a have a brief thought down the road that Adam Pellick's uh, contract number he's an rfa this coming summer is going up um he's going to be a five million dollar a year player just if you're if you're on a team that goes back to back to the semifinals two years and you're a key guy in the middle of it all shutting down trying to contain Sidney crosby and then trying to contain patrice bergeron's line um and your team advances through both of those you're getting paid so um it was a big night for him and it was a big night for semyon varlamov Looking at the total, 40 saves for Varlamov. Um, you know, he he did give up that first one. Uh, it was a screen from Nick Letty um, on the uh, Pasternak, on Pasternak's first goal. Uh, the Marshawn goal was just a pretty move around a bunch of guys where he probably should have been stopped by either Nelson or Pollock before he got to the net. Um, but other than that, and the you know, and and maybe juggled the the the, the fourth Bruins goal uh Krejci's rebound kind of snuck through him he, he looked like he pushed it over over the line himself but it's hard to fault Varlama for the game that he had you know i think um the kind of the funny narrative after he gave up the the bad goal in overtime in game 3 to Marshawn and the Bruins took a 2-1 lead after really keeping the Islanders in that game uh you know Barry Trotz seemed pretty incredulous to be asked uh whether he would consider changing his goalies and he didn't. He stuck to his guns. Varlamov was good in a, in a quieter you know, game. Didn't have to be that great uh, in game four. And he was great even giving up four goals tonight. So, um, you know, the Islanders haven't changed really much since since going from 
Sorokin to Varlama from games one to two of this series. And uh, they really have just finding the ways to win games. It's uh, it's remarkable. I had asked Cal Clutterbuck and Barry Trotz about developing that mindset that they that the Islanders seem to have perfected of not letting too much bother them in games, in series, whether they're down a game in the series, whether they're down a goal, they went down a goal again real quick. You know, we're at 11 games of this postseason. I think this was the seventh or eighth time that they've given up a goal in the first eight minutes of the first period. Um, and it just does not phase them. It's it's a remarkable mental toughness turnaround that they've had uh, in these last three years. And to see it keep growing with with a group that's arguably not even as as skilled as it, as the one that went to the the conference finals last year. You know, they they don't have Anders Lee, obviously. Um, you know, the the goaltending is probably stronger. The decors is basically the same, although you've got Noah Dobson who, you know, had some ups and downs tonight, mostly downs, and again was kind of sat out of the rotation as things got hairier and hairier in the third period. So they're basically a five man rotation on defense. Um this is uh you know this is not as skilled a group as it was last year. And to see them kind of the the backbone stiffen and, and the bend but not break mentality taken to its limit again tonight. Uh, it's it's remarkable, you know. Even if they don't succeed uh, on Wednesday at the Coliseum, even if they lose this series, um, they've they've you know Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz have laid a very um, a very strong foundation in just a couple years for an organization that was looked a little aimless after um, the seventeen eighteen season, and then certainly even when those guys came in and after John Tavares left, maybe felt like they were a little adrift and. They've, they've completely changed it all around, um, you know, and, and kind of embodied the spirit of what's been happening in this postseason where you see a lot of the big star players in the regular season who put up gaudy stats or, or have been sidelined already or are about to be sidelined. Um, you know, maybe that's not the way that the league wants it. And, and I have to laugh when you see on Twitter a Bruins fan or any anyone who's a fan of another team or kind of listening to Bruce Cassidy thinking that there's any possible universe that exists where – there's people in the NHL offices that want the New York Islanders to be in the conference finals or the finals for ratings because uh, that that might be the the funniest thing of all to come out of this that uh, that the Bruins an original six team that has that gets tons of great ratings and uh, is a super popular team around the United States would take a backseat to an Islander team that uh, has an arena that holds fourteen thousand um, that wasn't always full up until even a few years ago um, that has had all the crazy stuff that's happened to the Islanders uh, over the years, self-inflicted or not. It's um, that's pretty funny. So the Islanders have gained a lot of respect and I guess they've gotten to that point where people are saying that, that the league is biased in their favor. So they should also give that, give a little feather in the cap for, for Lamarillo and trots on that front as well. So um, it's another uh, surprising game five win for the Islanders. Um, they come back to what's going to be a raucous coliseum on Wednesday for game six. If they can close it out there, uh, we'll see if it's Tampa again or if Carolina is going to be able to prolong that series. Um, and they'll be super, they'll be huge underdogs again. They're probably huge underdogs even going into game six, but uh, that doesn't seem to phase them. And I guess nothing does. So well, that's all for our post game five podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled podcast later this week. Check you out soon. Thanks. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.